we can get started. Our God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your kindness to us, O Lord. You are a good God. You are long-suffering. You are far better to us than we deserve. God, we thank you for Christ and his blood. We thank you, God, that you, according to the counsel of your own will, that you sent your son to die and save us, O God, and that by the aid of your Holy Spirit, we can know you, we can understand your word, O God, and we can have knowledge of what you have done to save your people and how we might please you, O God. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us open our eyes and our ears so that we might hear of your wonderful deeds in your word. Lord, we ask that you would do all these things for your own glory and for our good. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so we are, um, Doug is taking a break today, so I'm replacing him. And we are doing class number seven on the topic of evangelism, the topic of evangelism. And um, the course today is discipling others in evangelism, discipling others in evangelism. So it is about evangelism. The course seminar is still about evangelism, but we're just focusing in on this particular aspect of evangelism. So our main text that we will be using to override this whole thing is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. You should see that on your handout there. I don't have one. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, so far through the first six classes of evangelism, um, can somebody tell me what you have learned so far? What has Doug, what's your big takeaway so far in about this topic of evangelism? Amen. Did everybody hear that? That your testimony is not the gospel, that we have to put the gospel front and center. Right? So our testimonies are useful, helpful, but they are not what actually it, they are not what actually saves people. It's the gospel actually saves. So anything else? Nobody else learned anything. Okay. We have to begin with God when we begin with evangelism. Yes, sir. Begin with God when we begin with evangelism, not cater to man. What's up? All Christians are commanded to share the gospel and evangelize. That's good. All those are good answers. Um, also, um, I have another question. Why should we train or disciple others in, in evangelism? Why do you think we should actually go through the process and the effort of training others and discipling others in evangelism. Jesus commanded us to do it, right? Any other reasons? That's what he did with the disciples. Anything else? Why do we need to disciple in, as it relates to evangelism? That's how you reproduce, yes. Those are all great answers. And I would add to that, all of those answers are really good. None of them are wrong. But I would also add to that is we need help. Right? We all need help. None of us come to the faith equipped. 
with everything that we need to obey all that the Lord has commanded. Right? If we think of our spiritual maturity as a house, then we understand that we all need to be built up spiritually. And just as a building needs a strong foundation and a structure, a believer's spiritual maturity needs discipleship and training in order to obey all that the Lord has commanded us to do. So in building a house, the first step is to lay a solid foundation, which is essential for the stability and the durability of that structure. And then you put, we add the roof and the walls of the house, and that will signify us needing to develop specific skills and wisdom, and we need to know sound doctrine. So all believers need to be taught to develop particular things or skills in order to be faithful to the Lord in every area of ministry and in particular evangelism, okay? So, and lastly, in the same way, a house needs ongoing maintenance and upkeep to stay in good condition. All believers need continuous discipleship and training to remain steadfast and obedient over the course of our entire Christian lives. So by doing so, not only will we grow in obedience, but we will be able to have a deep well of knowledge, of grace, and of wisdom from which we can draw when we evangelize the lost. So again, we also, we need help to learn these skills, to learn this ability to be able to evangelize well. Uh, None of us come to the faith fully mature. We need to learn how to, we need to be taught how to read the Bible. We need to be taught how to pray well. We need to be taught how to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to be taught how to share our faith so that we can share it well and biblically, right? That's why we need to disciple others in evangelism because that's just not something that you come to the faith knowing how to do inherently. Also, we need help because evangelism is hard. Evangelism is difficult. It's not an easy thing. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's challenging. It requires boldness. It requires confidence. It requires courage. And it requires an ability to handle rejection, right? Most of us don't handle rejection well. And that's what you're going to get most of the time when you try to evangelize biblically, okay? But telling others about our great salvation that we have in Christ is one of our greatest privileges that we have as Christians. The hope that we have in Christ is the same hope we have about our salvation, about how our sins can be put away and how God can bring us into his family. And we have a great, great privilege to be able to share that with other people. So we are living in this tension of this joyful uh, privilege to be able to proclaim the good news while at the same time knowing that this proclamation will not always be well received and that is very difficult and it's very hard. So we got these two things bumping up against each other at the same time. And for that reason, we need help. And since that's the case, <clears throat> we need discipleship. We need to be discipled in the area of evangelism. So our goal today is to look at some ways we can imitate the Lord Jesus Christ through discipling other people in evangelism. 
So if you look at your handouts, you'll see the outline it says it has three main points. <clears throat> we can imitate Jesus by intentionally investing in a few individuals. We can imitate Jesus by being patient. And we can imitate Jesus by invest, inviting our disciples to join us. Does everybody have a handout? Do I need to make some more copies? Is that the last one? Who doesn't have a handout? She's going, Lori's going to make copies now. So those are the three main headlines in your handout there. So why is Jesus our model worthy of Im imitation? Okay, why should we look to Jesus first and foremost as our guide when we talk about discipleship? Yep, that's right. That's a great answer. He's the only human without sin, right? So what I'm asking is, is what I'm saying is, is why should we be looking to Christ first and foremost as our guide in this area rather than, say, Ray Comfort or some other believer, right? The answer is, is that the word of God is sufficient for all things pertaining to faith and practice, okay? And the word of God provides all we need in order to live a Christian life. And therefore, Jesus Christ is our perfect example. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the executor of God's eternal plan to save people. Jesus is the greatest evangelist to ever walk the face of the earth. Amen, church. Right? That's not to say that we cannot learn from these other people, but it is to say, without reservation, that Jesus should always be our first and primary example. Okay, so, and also I want to add here that we cannot cover all of discipleship or evangelism in today's class, but, and that's because discipleship is a multifaceted, multifaceted and so is evangelism, so we'll, we can only do so much in by the fact that we just have time restraints, all right? So, point number one, imitate Jesus by selecting a few people. So Jesus had many followers, but only 12 designated disciples. So during Jesus' earthly ministry, he had hundreds, if not thousands, of people following him. In the gospel accounts of his life, we see that, that large crowds and multitudes of people followed him and pressed in on him. But the Bible says in Mark 5.24, a great crowd followed him and a great throng was about him. Mark 12, 37 says, and the great throng heard him gladly. Luke 6, 17 says, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And then we have, you see this over and over again in the scriptures. Luke 23 says, and there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. So even though many, many people followed the Lord Jesus Christ, nevertheless, when it came to discipling others in evangelism, he intentionally and specifically chose 12 people 
that he kept particularly close to him out of that larger group, right? We need to do the same thing. So Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16 says the following. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose them and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we see here Jesus, out of this great, vast multitude, he chose a particular 12. Furthermore, if we take a closer look at the 12, later on in uh, biblical history, we see that Jesus chooses an even smaller group of three, James, John, and Peter, with whom was, he was even closer to those three. So, and Jesus brings them, those three, with him to the, mount, to the mountain where they witness his transfiguration. So, while yes, it is true that you are, neither you or I are Jesus, yes, and none of us are apostles, Nevertheless, we can glean some practical wisdom from Jesus' example here. And just being practical and realistic, we need to try to narrow our focus when we're talking about doing discipleship, any kind of discipleship in particular, I mean in general and in particular when we're trying to disciple others in evangelism. So, like I said, just from a uh, practical and realistic standpoint, the more things you try to do and the thinner you spread yourself, the worse you're going to do them. Multitasking is a myth. Okay? You're, you cannot do everything well. The more things you try to do, something is going to suffer. Right? Something's going to suffer. You can't do everything at 100. That's not possible. So you have to Exercise some discernment and some wisdom in your decision-making and determine when, where, and when, where, how, and with whom you are going to invest your time to disciple people. Amen? You cannot do this with everybody. It's not possible. Okay? So our time in this life is limited. Our time in this life is a vapor. There are only 24 hours in a day, and therefore our time is precious. We need to redeem it. You need to see it as valuable, and you need to steward it well. Okay? You need to steward your time well, and therefore you need to focus on a select small group of people that you can disciple in this area. Okay? So the Lord Jesus Christ, he was truly God, and he was truly man. Yet, during his ministry, he lived in a 24-hour day, just like we did. He ate, he worked, he slept, and like us, he had to make real decisions about where he would spend his time and with whom. And he focused in on 12, and then even a smaller group of three, and we need to look at this, and we need to make good decisions regarding who we are going to disciple in order to do it effectively, right? So we must commit our time and make sacrifices in order to do certain things at the expense of other things, right? This means we have to learn 
what to say yes to. We have to learn what to say no to. You have to, listen to me. I, want every, I talked over this a few months ago. I want you to say this word with me. No. Okay? No. It is okay to say no when somebody asks you to do something. Right? You can't do everything. You have responsibilities, and you need to prioritize them. And sometimes when somebody asks you to do things, you need to say no. So say it with me. Let's pry. Let's track this. No. Okay? It's okay. It's okay. All right? So some of us feel guilty for, for not being able to do things. You, sometimes you can't. Not if you want to do them effect. If you want to do a bunch of stuff terrible, just say yes to everything. Okay? Just say yes to everything and you do, you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff terribly. Trust me. Okay? So this means also we have to remember that it's okay to focus our attention on a few things and not feel guilty for not being able to do everything. That makes sense to you? You don't have to feel guilty for not being able to do everything. You don't have to feel guilty that you can't show up to every event. You don't have to feel guilty about not being able to disciple every single person that asks you to. Okay? But what you cannot do and should not ever do is commit to something and then not follow through. That's why you need to learn to say no. Okay? You need to have a good understanding of your time, what you can do effectively, and be mindful of when you start to get, you start to take too much onto your plate. Right? Because we don't want to just disciple others just for the sake of discipling. You have to have a particular goal in mind which is to teach, to train them. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says that what the Great Commission is, but the last leg of that Great Commission is to train them to obey all that I have commanded them, right? That's your goal. That's our goal in discipleship. Our goal is to not just the disciple, but we have to disciple with a goal in mind. The goal is to see this person conform to the image of Christ, and obey the Lord in all things, right? And if you're just spreading thin, if I'm only spending two minutes with this brother and two minutes with this sister and I'm not really able to sit down with them and be effective with them, then it's of no use. So you have to be mindful and remember that it's okay to focus your attention on a select few group of people for a period of time. And again, I'm going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse. This means understanding you cannot disciple everybody. You just can't, right? Not if you want to do it well. It's, oh, one more time. No. All right? Did that hurt? No. All right. Everybody's still alive, right? All right. It's, listen, it's better to do a few things well than to do many things poorly. You understand? 
Yeah, you hear the term, you know this term, a jack of all trades, but jack of all trades, but a master of none. You're better off doing a few things well than a bunch of things poorly. Right? Leonardo da Vinci, he was an artist, he was an inventor, he was a scientist, he was skilled in a bunch of different areas, but he's best known for his mastery in painting and for his inventions. He produced the Mona Lisa, he painted the Last Supper. He was also, and again, like I say, it was a, he was an inventor as well, but he didn't mass produce his inventions. He was more interested in, in a few particular ones, right? And, but this is the point, that even though he had this wide range of interests and talents, he focused his energies on a few key areas, achieved mastery in those areas, and became one of the greatest and most well-known painters and inventors of all time. So this just all this is is a is just demonstrating the importance of choosing a few things well, uh, choosing choosing to do a few things to focus on those and to do them exceptionally well, right? Rather than spreading yourself too thin and not, and because then you're never going to reach your full potential, and neither will the people who you're discipling will be able to because you spread too thin, right? So again, I'm not saying that you have to neglect the rest of the world. Um, and it's not possible to care for other people. I'm just saying that you need to focus in on when it comes to discipling people, smaller groups are more effective than trying to do a bunch of, a bunch of things and not, and not be effective. Amen? So if we take the example of Jesus and his disciples and we applied that same principle, what would that look like? Right? What would that look like? So, I have a question. Would anybody here in the class, would they like to share what are some of their discipling relationships like? Like, in particular, like with a small group, and maybe like give us some wisdom that you would like to share with the class about how to do what I'm talking about. You understand the question? Okay, so, yeah, so we're going to talk about being patient here later in the in outline, but yeah, thank you for that. So, 
Does anybody else have um, anything they would like to share about their particular, you dis, not you being discipled, but you discipling somebody else? Being disciple, yes. To not have that interaction going on, I think it's just being complacent to what the Lord has called us to do. Now, what would you say in terms of like focusing your attention on a smaller group? Smaller group, I, I say that is excellent, but I think that the one-on-one is very important because that's where you can really you can share certain things. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to be this symbiotic relationship. I mean, okay. yes, you may be a more mature individual within the relationship when it comes to your Christian faith, but don't ever think that you cannot be taught by the other individual. In fact, be open to that so that that way it can be an encouragement to them when you say, hey, thanks for saying that. I never looked at it that way. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. We're going to talk about that later on in the... Yeah. Yes, sir. That's right. And I floundered around for, for a very long time just to, to see how, uh, how this person is taking in some of the things and, and hopefully not having to flounder around in order to, if God saved him, he's going he's gonna to sanctify him, he's going to grow him, he's going to, um, he's going to change him, but to be in that part of not, uh, of being able to, to give instruction where they're not floundering around for a long period of time, is, I see that as a blessing. Yes, amen. Yes, ma'am. Right. 
All right, thank you for all of that. So remember, the goal of discipleship, right, is found in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to obey, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded. So, no, okay, I want to say this as gingerly as possibly. To, to uh, Marty's point, um, when the Lord first saved me, nobody discipled me. So I was, like he said, floundering around with no, with no idea what I was really doing. And I know some of y'all don't, are not going to agree with what I'm getting ready to say, but you're wrong, okay? <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing when you are young and when you first come to the faith. You think you do, but you don't. You are actually dumber than you realize, okay? You have no idea. Young people don't know what they're doing. Young parents have no idea how to raise children. And young Christians do not know what they're doing. And the biggest problem is, is that you don't believe that. And you need to be discipled. And because you are a knucklehead and you don't think you're an idiot, you need to be discipled intimately. You need to be discipled for a really long time, and, you, and they need to spend a lot of time with you because you're going to be making the same mistake over and over and over again because we are stiff-necked, hard-headed people. Yes, sir. So the, here's the thing. I'm just, I'm telling you, you, you either need to be getting this, if you're not, if you're a Christian, right, you need to be either discipling or getting discipled. And even after you're mature, you're still going to be growing in the faith. Paul says in, in, in Philippians, I don't remember the chapter, he says, I have not attained the prize. There's more for me to have in Christ. The second that you start thinking that I've arrived, I'm, I'm telling you, you're in trouble. Okay. You do not know, it, I'm sorry, I'm apologizing to all of you young people in advance. You don't know what you're doing, okay? And you need to be discipled. You cannot walk the Christian faith without being discipled. Yes, ma'am. You need God to help you, and you need to be discipled by a more mature Christian, Okay? You need to be discipled. Older people in the room, listen to me. You have a responsibility to disciple the people in this church. You cannot, as an older saint, sit here and not disciple these people. You are doing them a disservice and you are dishonoring the Lord. The Lord puts you here in this congregation to disciple the younger people around you. And you are doing you are being disobedient, you're dishonoring the Lord, and you're doing the people around you a disservice. You're robbing them of all the wisdom, wealth, and, and the wealth of knowledge that you have by not discipling them, okay? They cannot do the thing. You know what? All the young, you go talk to a bunch, some young mothers, and I guarantee you they're going to feel overwhelmed, right? But the peop, all the women who've raised a bunch of kids, it's like, oh, that's nothing. That's light work, right, Sheila? 
You, when you're in the middle of it, you think it's a whirlwind and a tornado. But looking back, it's not that bad. And that's why, that's why they need your help. That's why they need your help. And you're going to rob them of that? Why? Because you, like, you just want to go home and, what, watch the Super Bowl? Why? You can get through it. Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but the point is, the point is they need your help. They need your help, and you have to do that. That's why the Lord put you here. I think also, I wouldn't put it off on laziness, because I know about evangelism. Sure. People are intimidated. I'm talking about, okay, so right now we're talking about, and they don't realize so right now we're talking about discipleship. Offer, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into all of that. But the point remains, you either need to be getting discipled or discipling. You need to be doing one of the two, right? And if you're not, you're, something's broken. So we can, we can argue and go back and forth. I'm not saying you're arguing with me, but we can go back and forth about the nuance of it. But one of the two things need to be happening, period. Okay. Sure, that could, yeah, you know, that, sure, that, that more than likely should be happening. But I'm just saying, if you're a younger saint, you definitely need to be getting discipled, okay? Again, like I'm saying, I'm not getting ready, we get, this is, the point of this is not to parse out what it's supposed to look like on an individual level. The point is, is that you either need to be getting discipled or discipling someone, okay? One of those two things need to be happening or both at the same time. Do we understand? We good? We clear? All right. All right. So listen. To teach people to observe all the Lord, all of the Lord's commands takes time and effort and sacrifice. I just can't go to this brother and say, hey, you should stop doing that, and then he's just going to stop tomorrow. Or I, should, I can't just go to this brother and say, hey, you need to start doing this, and he's just going to start tomorrow. That's unreasonable for me to expect that of him. So I have to spend time with him and put forth effort with him and teach him the word of God. And it's going to take effort and sacrifice and time and work. And that's what discipleship is, generally speaking. And in this particular area, when we're talking about evangelism, right, we need to be doing what Jesus did in this area. And that's point number two. We need to imitate Jesus by being patient and prayerful, right? So after Jesus identified his disciples and invited those disciples to join him, he began to spend time with them and he began discipling them. So God's plan has always been to bring glory to himself through groups of people who are being conformed to his image, right? To being conformed to his image. And we see this throughout the entire scriptures. God set apart Israel. He called his disciples. And finally, he has called us into local churches and in, in, in expecting us to grow in obedience and in conformity to Jesus Christ for his glory. That's always been his plan. And so throughout the scriptures, we see small, imperfect groups of people, often from very different backgrounds, glorifying God as they grow in maturity, holiness, and sanctification. So as we grow and begin to act 
look, talk, walk, and live more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that by spending more time with him in his word and being discipled by more mature saints who are doing that better than us. Okay? So when we spend time, focused time with more mature believers, we begin to, they begin to rub off on us. So we usually always make this joke. We used to make this joke about Wally and Pablo all the time. It was no point in asking Wally a question. You just go to Pablo because he's going to sound exactly like Wally, right? And so that's what happens when you have somebody discipling you. You begin to resemble them. And as a discipler, you should be pointing your disciplee to Christ so that they would be more and more like Christ. That's what you're, you're trying not, you're not trying to make them into you per se, but you should be imitating Christ and they should be imitating you as you imitate Christ. That makes sense to you? So it is important for us here to note this, that even though Jesus was spending a lot of time with his disciples, they didn't immediately just begin ministering. That was to Julian's point, right? Jesus was very patient with these people before he started to send them out to to, to do ministry. So if we look at Matthew's gospel account, we see that Jesus began his ministry in chapter 4, but the first time he sent out his apostles wasn't until later on in chapter 10. And so he is, I mean, it's hard to say specifically, but he may have spent upwards of a year with his disciples before he sent them out to minister for the very first time. So, like I'm saying, we shouldn't, this doesn't necessarily mean we got to be dogmatic about this. You're not, it doesn't mean like, oh, I got to disciple somebody for a whole year before we go out and let them do any kind of discipleship or evangelism. But I'm saying you mustn't expect something from someone that you're discipling to be perfect immediately. Okay, we have to learn to be patient. The principle we should be getting from this is patience, that the Lord patiently waited on the people that he was discipling. He was patiently waiting for them to be ready. And when you're discipling somebody, you need to be patient with the people that you're discipling. So we need to understand that even after these men, these 12 men spent all of this time listening and watching and learning from Jesus, the God man, the Christ, they, they failed often in their ministry. And it wasn't, their ministries weren't pretty and polished. Peter said a lot of dumb stuff, even after spending time with Jesus. Do you know how many times, if you read through the scriptures, where he's with the disciples, and Jesus says, how long do I have to bear with you? Bring me the boy. Let me heal him. Like, how many times do I got to tell you this? Have you not read in the scriptures? Like, these men weren't perfect. So the point is, is that In the gospel accounts, we see Christ correcting and rebuking his apostles on multiple occasions for a variety of reasons, but nevertheless, he was patient with them. And so if you're discipling somebody in this area, you need to be patient with them because they're they're not going to be perfect. You're not a perfect discipler. They're not going to be a perfect disciplee. Amen? So we need to be patient. We need to be patient and we need to be prayerful, right? And so the apostles, when they finally came to a point where they understood that Jesus was the Christ, they eventually 
began to do ministry well, but it took time. So we need to be able to be patient with the people that we're discipling. And in addition to being patient with his disciples, Jesus also prayed for his disciples. So if you remember Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17, it gives us this wonderful picture of Christ's affection for his apostles and for his people as he prays for them before they go out into the world, right? And as he prays for the people to whom, and he also prays for the, not only for the disciples, but also for the people that they would be going out to reach. That makes sense to you? So when you're discipling somebody in evangelism, you need to be praying for the person that you're discipling, and you need to be praying for the person, the people that they are going to eventually going to evangelize. So, and so Paul and other New Testament writers continue this trend. If you read the, uh, the, the epistles, you see all of these prayers for the, from the apostles regarding the people of God and how they should pray for particular things and pray for their growth and pray for their ability to speak to her, his ability to speak the gospel with clarity and pray that the gospel would go forth without being hindered. We need to be doing those same things when we're discipling people. We need to be praying for the person we're discipling. We need to be praying for the things that they would go out and do and say and evangelize. And we need to be praying for the people to whom they will witness to. All right? So, like I stated earlier, the, listen, one of the reasons you need to be, if you're discipling somebody in this area, you need to be praying a lot. Because like I said earlier, evangelism is difficult. It is not easy. It is not easy. Maybe some people, for some people it may be easier. But it's not an easy thing to do. So we need to be praying for people. It's not an easy task. So when somebody that you're discipling, and in particular in this area in evangelism, right, and they start to struggle, we don't, you don't need to hammer them. You need to, one of the things you need to be doing is praying a lot for them. And then the other thing we need to be doing is we have to be patient with them and we have to encourage them to keep going, okay? So patiently wait for them to improve. The people that, whoever you're discipling in evangelism, you patiently wait for them to improve and you graciously point out their error, errors and missteps, Okay? So one practical thing, uh, one practical way I learned to do this from Pastor Ed, right, and it's been extremely helpful, is when you're discipling someone, rather than saying to them, you did this wrong, right? Don't say it like that. I think a better way to say it is, here's an area of improvement. Here's a, here's a place where you can improve, right? Because some people will never, some people are just disobedient or are fearful or whatever, and they just won't obey God and go evangelize. But if you got a person who is doing that, right, who's stepping out in faith and actually doing that, you don't want to beat them down. You want to encourage them to do it more. Amen? So when they maybe have made an error, you need to encourage them to continue but show them where they made the mistake, okay? I was at the park one day. Some little 11-year-old kid walked up to me. He tried to evangelize. I, okay, so I don't know. I probably shouldn't have done this, but Lord forgive me. 
I didn't immediately tell him I was a believer. I just wanted to hear what he wanted to say, what he was going to say. And he said to me, you should come to my church. And I said, why? He was like, because you need God. I was like, why? He was like, because you're going to die one day. I was like, I know. What's the point? And then he said, well, don't you want to have a good life? I was like, I got a great one. I got a wife. I got five kids. I got grandkids. I got money in the bank. I'm good. And he was like, well, when something goes bad, you're going to need God. And I just stopped him. I was like, hold on, bro. Listen, I'm a believer. I I get what you're trying to do. I think it's great and wonderful because most 11-year-olds wouldn't be at a park by themselves trying to witness to anybody, right? But let me just help you a little bit about how you could do this a little better, right? So you don't forget when you're talking to people, you got to talk to them about their sin in Jesus. I could have just beat them, hammered them, beat them down. That's not the gospel, right? But that's not how you want to, that's not how you want to encourage people, right? You just want to point out their er- errors, but just instead of just beating them down and telling them like, this is wrong, this is terrible, just encourage them and say, hey, this is some, this is some place that you can improve here. That makes sense to you? All right. In all our relationships, the discipleship relationships, I want to encourage you that we must correct error and sin in the person that you're discipling and, and to do it in a way where you give them a vision of what they can become in Christ. That makes sense to you? You don't, the, you don't only want to tell them how bad they are, but you've got to give them a vision for what they can be by the aid of the Holy Spirit, right? So pray with them, pray for them, and remind them of the power of the gospel, that even though you failed right now, that God is good, and he has promised to sanctify you. So keep going, right? Amen? Anybody got any questions? Yes, ma'am. So what Lori said earlier about when, okay, so we're talking about in the context of discipleship. So the assumption is is that you're going to know these people well, and you're going to have a certain type of relationship with them where you can talk to them about these things. Mm -hmm. So the plan, hopefully, as you're discipling somebody, is to you would have built a, a, a well enough rapport with them to where when they do those things, you could just point it out to them. And that their goal is supposed to be growing in sanctification and that they would trust you and listen to you when you tell them that they're doing those things and where they need to correct them. If they're not going to listen to you in that area, that probably is not the person that you should. Yes. So if you're trying to disciple somebody and somebody asks you, hey, will you disciple me? And you tell them, hey, I'm seeing something here. You You shouldn't do these things. And they just keep fighting you and they refuse to listen. I wouldn't, I don't know how long I would continue that relationship as a discipler because if they're not going to listen to you, you, you just, you wasting, a, you wasting a bunch of time. That makes sense to you? Yes. So the very first time I discipled someone, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never done before, and I had never really been to a church where I had seen the community around me. And a complete stranger happened to be there, which was crazy. And the reason why I said yes is I said, you have to be the Lord.
Okay. All right, I got I got it. You got something? Oh, I was just gonna ask like if you could get back to the example of when you said it would not give the particular person the particular indication of what they could do in Christ. That's what I was saying like earlier when I was saying like I shouldn't just be like, Oh, you're you're doing this bad, you're doing this bad. It's more so like, hey, this is where you can improve, but trust that the Lord can get you there. This is what because what God has promised us in Christ. This is where you can be if you, just, if you just stay steadfast and trust the Lord and keep working at this. This is what you can look like at the end of the day. I got to encourage you in that area and show you that. That makes sense to you? Yes, All right. I got to move on. I'm sorry. All right. Listen, if you're following along, we're on the third point. Imitate Jesus by modeling ministry and training labor. So Jesus modeled and, demonstrate how to, modeled and demonstrated how to do evangelism for us by doing it as he traveled with the disciples. So the disciples saw the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus prayed, the way Jesus used scripture, the way he was preoccupied with obeying the Father, the way he explained the kingdom of God, and the way he showed people their need for salvation. So he took, when Jesus was out in the world and he was going on his way, he took advantage of these uh, evangelistic opportunities around him, and he showed his disciples how to share the gospel. And as a result, they learned how to share the gospel. So when Jesus, he did this in a number of different ways. He taught his disciples how to pray. In Matthew 6, that's the Lord's prayer. If you remember his, they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he, he prayed and he showed them how to pray, right? And so the pastors understand that one of the ways that, you, that, that we can grow in this area is to simply listen to the prayers of a more mature saint. Right. And we're very conscientious of this when we do prayers in the pulpit or we do the prayers at the 130 service. We understand that when you hear other people pray, you learn how to pray. Right. Most often uh, you have a lot of believers who are scared to pray publicly because they just simply don't know how to. They haven't been taught how to. And you we need. And as a disciple, we need to teach people how to pray so that they can have the confidence to do that. Also, when it comes to evangelism, we need to teach people um, to how to evangelize, right? By just evangelizing with them, right? Just by evangelizing with them. We need to teach people what to pray for in evangelism. And we do that by just praying and with the person that you're discipling. So we have some, if you want to just some practical takeaways from all of this, because I'm actually, I'm running out of time here. So some practical takeaways. I got four practical takeaways here. The first one is we need to uh, do evangelism with the people that we're discipling, okay? We need to do evangelism with the people that we're discipling. And I've completely lost my place, so whatever. All right. We need to do evangelism with the people that we're discipling. The second takeaway is that, I'm sorry, yeah, that's the first takeaway. Evangelize together. Evangelize together, right? 
So there's a million different ways that you can do evangelism, right? You could do it through social media. You could do it through taking, your co- or taking a coworker to lunch. You can help a neighbor in need. And all of these, what these do is they present opportunities for you to, or they present ways for you to put yourself in a position to where you can talk to somebody about the gospel, right? And so we need to, and if you're discipling somebody, you need to show them ways to do that. That makes sense to you? So one of the things that I remember vividly about coming to this church was with Marty, when uh, Ron got, remember when Mar- Ron got married down on the strip? I thought, I was like, that's the craziest thing in the world, somebody getting married on a strip. And he used it as an opportunity to witness, to, to, you know, present the gospel. And I saw some guy just like screaming at Marty. And I just, all I did was watch the entire exchange and just saw how he was very patient and calmly dealt with this individual. And it gave me a lot of confidence to start talking to people that I didn't know. And it, gre- it blessed me greatly because, like I said, evangelism is hard. Evangelism is hard. And when you do it with other people and they see somebody else do it, they get confidence and courage and, and the ability. They learn how to do it well in those kind of contentious situations. That makes sense to you? The second thing is, takeaway is, we need to be impartial when we do these witnessing opportunities, right? When we evangelize the lost, we must never show partiality. Everybody needs Jesus. Amen? Everybody needs a Savior. If you decide to go out and do evangelism, you don't just approach the people that look like you. Okay? Don't just approach the people who are particularly attractive or the people that seem important. Don't do that. Right? Jesus preached the gospel to the rich young ruler. He preached the gospel to the Samaritan woman, which was scandalous in his day. And Jesus constantly went against the grain by ministering to people who, would norm, who normal people would ordinarily avoid. The blind, the lame, the leprous, the crippled, the deaf, the dumb, the female, the Samaritan. Jesus pursued all of them, and we should do the same thing. We must never show partiality at all. If you get an opportunity to witness to your friends, witness to them. You get an opportunity to witness to your coworker, witness to him. You get an opportunity to witness to your boss, witness to him or her. Okay, you show no partiality at all whatsoever. Everybody you know needs the Savior. Okay? And then there's another way that people do this, and it, it sounds like it's good, but it's low-key bigotry. Okay? If you refuse to witness to a person because they don't look like you, and you say something crazy like this, oh, I got a black friend, or I got a female friend, I'm not going to talk to them about the gospel, I'm going to go find my female sister or my black brother or sister in the, in the faith to witness to them about the gospel, okay? You understand what you're implicitly saying? What you're implicitly saying is the gospel is incapable of penetrating this person's heart unless they hear it from a person that looks like them. That's a lie from the pit, okay? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not the gospel coming from the mouth of a person that looked like me is the power of God unto salvation. That's low-key bigotry 
and it's from the devil. You must never withhold the gospel from somebody on the basis of some external trait that's wicked evil. The last thing you need to do, the last practical takeaway, is that Jesus commissioned his disciples and then he sent them out. Okay? So when you're discipling somebody and you train them and you pray for them and you teach them how to pray and you teach them how to do all of these things, you eventually need to encourage them to go out and do the same thing. We make disciples who make disciples. That's our goal. Make disciples who make disciples. Okay? So you should be training your disciple with the expectation that they're going to make disciples. That makes sense to you? So eventually they should be, you should be replicating yourself in that way. Amen? So 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is our goal, to raise up faithful believers who will be able to teach others how to raise up the next generation of faithful believers and replicate themselves. So in this way, we will be living up to our church's motto to know Jesus and make him known. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, God. Help us to obey you in this area, O oh Lord, to disciples others in evangelism, to be faithful, O oh God, O oh teaching them to obey all that you have commanded. And God, we ask you by the aid of your spirit that you would give us the strength, the wisdom, and the wherewithal, God, to do these things with your help. Help us, God. We need you. It's in Christ's holy name. Amen.